Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Thank you very much. I would like to read a verse of Scripture in the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy. Sixth chapter, verse number 20. Thank you for allowing me to be with you tonight. I can read this without these, but it looks better with them. Deuteronomy 6, verse number 20. In the future, your children will ask you, what is the meaning of these laws, decrees, and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? Then you must tell them we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his strong hand. The Lord did miraculous signs and wonders before our eyes, dealing terrifying blows against Egypt and Pharaoh and all his people. He brought us out of Egypt so he could give us this land, and he had sworn to give our ancestors. And the Lord our God commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear him so he can continue to bless us. Continue to bless us. Continue to bless us. And preserve our lives as he has done to this day. For we will be counted as righteous when we obey all the commands of the Lord our God or that the Lord our God has given us. You can be seated. Thank you. I... I, I feel like I'm repeating myself because I, sometimes I think, man, I've said this so many times, it almost feels redundant. But at some point in time, we have to make our mind up as to how far we're going to go or how far we're not going to go. Men are a little different than women in a lot of ways, considerably different. Have you ever noticed a a man, a guy, you'll be talking about something and he's sitting there and he'll do this. He'll go, that's it. You ever seen a man do that? That's, That's typical man stuff. Women don't do that. They don't act that way, but we do. We listen, we listen, we think it out and then that's it, that's it. We've made our mind up. We've made this decision that we've gone as far as we're going to go. In Scripture, in the Old Testament, I I had mentioned several places here lately that in the Old Testament, I hear people sometimes say, I'm very thankful that we don't serve the God of the Old Testament, that we serve Jesus in the New Testament. Well, I have a revelation for you tonight. The God of the Old Testament was and is the Jesus of the New Testament. We don't have two separate and distinct beings that are operating against each other or in competition with each other. The God of the Old Testament looked at creation from the beginning after the mess in the garden and said, I've got to set a plan in order that will redeem these people and bring them back to me. I can't use a lot of the old, old methods because without the shedding of blood, there can't be any remission of sin. First animal killed in the Bible was killed in the garden. There was blood shed. And ever since that time, blood had to be shed in order for redemption to take place. That's just plain old Bible teaching. Blood had to be shed. The life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. Now, as a little sidebar, if you, if you look at America today, and I most always focus on America because that's where I'm at. And if you look at America today, 
Look at the look at the things that are at the top of the list that we're fighting over. And abortion right at, right up near the top. If not the top, it's one of the biggest issues there is, abortion. And the right to choose. That's that's what we call that. We now have laws in place in two states, Virginia and New York that says that if you wish you can abort a baby outside the womb. That means a baby that has been born can be aborted if the parent chooses that they don't like that child. I know it's ridiculous. It's, it's, uh, it, it's not even a topic that most of us could sit around and rationally discuss because it's, it's, it's gross to imagine that any human being could have such a mindset that you would take the life of a baby after it's been born just because maybe it had the wrong color eyes, maybe you had a bad night, whatever the reason, but that is the woman's right to choose. Now, I am thankful to be part of churches to where women do not think like that. I mean that. All of you men that are here tonight, you should be thankful that you're in the presence of ladies and women of God that do not think like that. And having said all of that, we're arguing over whether they should have the right to choose. After all, it's their bodies. Isn't that what it says? It's their body. They should choose. It's actually their baby. That's the way society visualizes that. However... If you're a Christian and you embrace that mindset, then you've not read the Bible. Because if the Bible states that the life is in the blood, and it does say that, the blood of the baby does not come from the woman. The blood comes through the man. So the life is in the blood. So if anybody should get to choose... Perhaps it should be the man. Maybe it shouldn't be anybody. Maybe it shouldn't even be discussed. Now, I'm not going to preach about abortion tonight, but that has to do with what I am going to say. The God of the Old Testament, as we refer to him is, as, was pretty harsh at times. He, he, he embraced things. That, people even say he was a murderer. He, there were innocent people that were slaughtered, and he would go in and wipe out an entire nation. But all of the nations that were treated that way were nations that at one point in time had the opportunity to have relationship with God and rejected him. That's why he said, like for the Canaanites, he said, when you go there, there will be war and you make sure you leave nothing alive. Why? Because God was preserving the next generation. Keep my word, keep my will, so that I might preserve you and bless you. I don't want the bloodline corrupted. I don't want the gods of those people to come in and get into your life and be part of what you do every day. I want you to worship me and me alone. That was why God did that. He had to be destructive in order to preserve the bloodline. Prophecies come about Jesus that there's going to be a Savior that's going to come and this Savior is going to redeem all of mankind. They had no idea how it was going to take place when they prophesied about him. They, they didn't know that it was going to be the march up Calvary's hill. They, they didn't understand any of that. Had no idea. Even the apostles that followed him all those years, they didn't know how it was going to end. They, they really didn't have a full understanding of this sacrifice that was going to take place. They didn't know that it wasn't going to be a lamb that you raised on a farm. It was going to be a man. And it couldn't just be any man. It couldn't be the guy that was raised right and ate right and did everything that mom and daddy said. It had to be a special kind of man. But it had to be a man. It had to be flesh and blood. So God said that he was going to take upon himself the form of a man. And, and in the scripture, Paul writes and says that Jesus did not think that it was robbery to call himself equal to God. Why? Because he was equal to God. 
And so when that body was prepared, a body thou hast prepared. When this body was prepared, it was prepared to house the Spirit of God that existed in the Old Testament. In, in, in essence, God of the Old Testament, the power, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The God that was so majestic and so powerful and so dynamic that he told only one man in all of Scripture, I'm going to allow you to look at the backside of me. But you couldn't look upon everything I am because as a human being, you would disintegrates. You cannot stand to look at that kind of power. But I'll let you see the hindquarters of my glory when it passes by. But that God that Moses got to visualize from a distance in the cleft of a rock, that same God got into the body of Jesus Christ and he was all man and he was all God. He came here for a purpose. God wanted to experience the pain and the anguish and the sin and the sting of sin and the sting of death for me. That was the whole purpose. So you can't separate the God of the New Testament and the God of the Old Testament because they're not two, two different gods. It's one God who took upon himself the form of a man. In the Old Testament, now I have to be time conscious tonight. Good manners. And in the Old Testament, when one country would overthrow another country, it wasn't uncommon that they would come and they would tell this king, we're going to put you under the law of tribute. You're going to pay us just to exist and to keep us from destroying you. Israel experiences that on many, many times. And so, one of the first things they would do is come and say, we want all your money. So they would empty out the treasury. We want all your weapons. They'd empty out the weapons. And when they'd gotten all of that, they were always wanting more. They'd come and say, we want your children and we want your wives. Because we don't want your children to grow up to be like you are, we want to take your children and teach them to be like us so that we can use them and manipulate them. A classic example of that is found in the book of Exodus. When Pharaoh is having his little round with Moses and not knowing what he's up against, Pharaoh just acts business as usual. He overruns everybody. He, he routes every country. He treats people any way he wants to. But he's got this guy standing in front of him. There's something different about him, and Pharaoh's recognized this. In the midst of all these plagues, Pharaoh offers three compromises. He tells Moses at one point, he says, look, go ahead and go out in the wilderness and worship God like you said you wanted to and sacrifice, then come on back to Egypt. Second compromise, he said, was look, you go ahead and go, but leave your children. Third compromise he gave was, go ahead and go, but leave, leave all your riches, leave all your treasure. You know why he did that? Because where your treasures are, your heart is. You'll be back. You'll come back. Now that first compromise, when he said, you go, but leave your children, he knew they would not go far. He wanted to keep them under subjection. He had the opportunity not only to have them as slaves, but to rear their children to serve him. So he would tell them, you go ahead, but you come back. Then second compromise, he says, no, you go, but leave your children. Just leave your children here for us. Third compromise, he finally says, look, go, leave your money. But he, every time in between these compromises, he's taking a hit. He's taking some serious hits, man. He's got lice and, and every kind of thing in the world happening to him and all the people. that Water being turned into blood and gross darkness and all these horrible things. But he did not realize that the one thing that was different about Moses is that Moses was not just another enemy, not just another competitor. This was a man that represented history, that represented the future, that represented the will of God. And there were not going to be no compromises. No compromises. When you leave Egypt, you're taking everything with you. Don't you leave one thing behind. Don't leave one animal. Don't leave one child. Don't leave one part of your riches and your wealth. In fact, you go get some of theirs and take that along 
the way. But don't you leave anything behind. I'm going to tell you that in 2019, if you're going to serve God, you cannot serve Egypt. And if you're going to stay here and get ready for the exodus, I hope in the name of God, you're not going to leave anything behind. Because God don't want you to leave here empty-handed. He wants you to take everything that he ever blessed you with. He wants you to take your children, take your families. He wants you to do that. God wants you to bring everything. He wants you lock, stock, and barrel. They would come in and say, we want your children. They'd give them away. The story of Hezekiah is one of the most beautiful, one of the most interesting, and one of the saddest stories in all the Bible. Sennacherib comes. Rabshakeh comes. Every time they come, they, they want more. Give us more. They're, listen, the appetite of the world is never filled. When you compromise, all you're doing is buying a little time. Don't compromise. Don't negotiate at the table of the devil. Don't give up anything. Don't give up nothing. If the devil says you give me this, I'll give you some rest. I don't need your rest. I have another rest. This is the rest wherein the weary shall rest. And this is the refreshing. I've got the presence of God. I've got the spirit of the Lord living inside of me. I've got it inside. I don't need anything you have. We're going to take your children and too many Israeli kings would give them their children. Give them their wives. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. He said, tell them. That text that I read, that was a prophecy from Moses. He said, the day will come that your children are going to come to you. Your son's going to ask you, Dad, why are you doing all this stuff? What's, what's the reason for this? How can we go to church every... T- it seems like we go to church all the time. There's always something about church. Why are we always going to church? And why do you want us to dress differently from everybody else? You know, we're, we're, we look like we're odd people. We are odd people. We don't look like everybody else. But if you love the Bible, if you love the Word of God, if you love truth, and can I tell you that if you don't love truth... You're in dangerous ground because the people that were turned away from God were people that did not love the truth. It said, having not received a love for the truth, God sent them strong delusion that they would believe a lie and be damned. You better love the truth. You better grasp the truth. You better hold it close to you. You better not let anything else come between you and God. And I'm gonna tell you, if you've ever been afraid, you need to be afraid tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, America is dying and she's dying fast and the world is crumbling around us and we need God. We need God to get out of here. We don't have no other escape route. There is no plan B. There is not an alternative direction to take. This is the only way out. If you don't know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, you don't have an exit. You don't have one. You're only fooling yourself. And we fooled ourselves long enough. I want to ask you a question. And that's the whole context of what I'm going to say tonight. How far are you willing to go before you put your foot down? Before you say, that's it. That's it. I'm done. I'm not giving nothing else away. I'm not leaving my children behind. I'm not leaving my heritage behind. I'm not leaving my love for the truth behind. I'm not going to walk away from that for anything this world has to offer. If they take this building, if I lose my job, if I'm sleeping in the streets, I'll still get up every day and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in this. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes it, to everyone that grasps it. God has not change. He's as strong. He's as real. He's as powerful. He's as gracious as he's ever been right now. 
You say, I'm glad. I'm glad we don't have to worry about them coming for our children. Who is it? I'm the guy that came to tell you they've already come for your children. They just didn't do it the same way. They've been coming for our children a long time. And some of those children that they came for, they got them. And they grew up to start another generation. And in that kind of a slide, every generation, Pastor Kylie, gets weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. It began all the way back in Egypt. By the time the 400 years had gone by, the scripture said there arose a Pharaoh that knew nothing about Joseph. Can I tell you that we are living in this day right now, 2019, that they do not know who Joseph is? Our children don't know who Joseph is. And some of our people, grown adults, have no idea who Joseph is. We have gotten weaker and weaker and weaker and not one shot has been fired. No shots have been fired across our bow. It didn't start in a major uprising or a war. It started in our homes when we started thinking how gracious and how beautiful and how lovely the world was. And our children wound wound up getting an hour Sunday school class every week to compensate for a 40-hour grilling in a public school where they're telling them there is no God, where they're telling them you don't have to love this, love that. You gotta recognize everybody is human beings. Everybody has a preference. to recognize abortion. You got to recognize gender confusion. You got to learn this. And they're not learning about God. And if they're going to learn anything, they're going to learn it here or they're not going to get it. And if they don't get it, they may as well be like Hezekiah's children. They may as well be like his children. Hezekiah made this statement after God had saved him from the armies of Syria, from the Philistines from the Assyrians after God had saved him from all of that the Babylonians come to visit him his enemy came to visit him and when they came to visit they said we heard you'd been sick we just wanted to come and bring a gift does that sound familiar we just wanted to come and bring you a gift and we wanted to see what's in your house oh man I'm going to tell you boy there's a little something stirring in me right now That's all the devil wants to do. Let him in your house. Just take him in, show him around, show him what you've done and what you've accomplished and what you've got and how good you are. And that's all Hezekiah did. But they had no longer left Hezekiah's presence grinning like a Cheshire cat because they'd garnered all that information. They knew what they were doing. They knew they were coming back. They knew they were gonna take Israel. They knew they were gonna lead them into captivity. And Isaiah come walking up there knowing as well as as anybody. He walked up and said, who was that? He knew who it was. Oh, that was, you know, some buddies from over in, in Babylon. Shut up, Hezekiah. You haven't got any buddies in Babylon. One of my grandchildren, I have numerous, walked up to me just recently and had a young man with her. They were friends, just friends. There was nothing romantic. This young man acted like a girl, walked like a girl, did everything girls do. I'm not making fun. I'm just telling you what happened. And she said, Papo, this is my best friend. I have to be blunt, Brother Kylie. You know, I may never see you again. I don't want anybody's blood on my hands. Why would anybody that's been born again of the water and the spirit baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and filled with the Holy Ghost, why would they have a best friend that was gay? God didn't send you to befriend somebody that was gay. God didn't send you to befriend somebody that's a murderer. He sent you to help them get converted 
and transformed from what they are to what they can be. 17 works of the flesh. And Paul said such of these were some of you, but you have been washed. You have been sanctified. You have been changed. God gave you a bath. They haven't had one. And the only reason God gave it to you so you could help somebody else get it. Not become what they are. Giving up our families. The American people, the birth index thing has dropped now to 2.0. When it reaches 1.9, there is no recovery. Go read for yourself the statistics, medical, biological statistics. A nation cannot recover. It's destined to die if it drops below 2.0. We're at 2.0. If you take some of the other nations, Middle Eastern nations, nations in Africa, a lot of the nations and countries where there's war torn and and evil of every kind, some of them are all the way up to seven and 7.5 and eight. Why, what are they doing? They're growing, we're shrinking. We say we're gonna evangelize the world. We don't even evangelize our neighborhoods. We're not evangelizing the world. Let's be honest. The world is evangelizing us. They are bringing their message, their gospel into our living rooms, into our bedrooms, into our schools, and into our churches. And we're here to help them. But we can't help them if we can't help ourselves. So your first priority has to be you. The Bible said, save yourself from this untoward generation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Can I tell you the merit to that? The merit is, is that you have to take care of you before you can help anybody else. Let me use something, I used it here before, three or four years ago, but I was on the plane the other day. They always do it. They get up there and demonstrate with the oxygen masks and all of that, and they drop it and they say, whatever you do, do not put that oxygen mask on your child until you have placed your oxygen mask on you. Why? That seems selfish because that baby can't take care of itself. But if you get the oxygen flowing into your body, you will be strong and you can sustain the child. You take care of yourself and then the child. We were sent here to take care of our children. It's our obligation to take care of our children. As pastors, it's our obligation to take care of the flock. We are to look out for you. But I can't be a good shepherd if I don't take care of myself. I've got to clean me out. What if? What if God couldn't take the time to bless you today because you you didn't take the time to thank him yesterday. You were too busy. What if God decided to stop leading us tomorrow because we refuse to follow him today? What if we never saw another flower bloom because all we did was grumble when it rained? What if God didn't walk with us today because we failed to recognize it as his day. What if God took away his message because we failed to listen to the messenger? What if God didn't send his only begotten son because he wanted us to be prepared to pay for our own sins? What if that hadn't happened? You wouldn't be here today. What if the door of the church was closed because we refused to open the door of our heart? What if God stopped loving and caring for us because we failed to love and care for others? What if God would not hear us today because we would not listen to him yesterday? What if God answered our prayers the way we answer his call to service? What if God met our needs the way we give him our lives? What if God closed up his spiritual pocketbook like we have closed up ours? What if God treated us like we treat our family and the people around us? What if God came when we prayed on the same scale or the same speed as we come when he calls us? What if God treated us 
every day like we treat him even when we're in the house of God. What if God pulled out all the stops because we weren't paying any attention to how high the water was rising anyway? What if God treated us like we treat him? What if? I asked God to take away my pride. God said, no. It's not for me to take away, it's for you to give up. I asked God to make my handicapped child whole, but God said, no. Her spirit was whole. Her body is only temporary. The blessings of no. I asked God to grant me patience, but God said no. Patience is a byproduct of tribulation. It isn't granted, it's earned. But we're in tribulation. We whine and cry. All of us do it. God, what did I do to deserve this? Do you know why we do that? Because we don't trust God's motive. Everything that God does has motive behind it. Everything that takes place in your life, God has a motive for that. He knows what the motive is. He knows what the outcome is, the result. And God is interested in the result. And if you can't trust God's motive, you can't trust God at all. I asked God to give me happiness. God said, no, I give you blessings. Happiness is up to you. I, I've lately really made an effort to not complain about anything. Seems like lately I've been around a lot of people that were in far worse condition than me. I've stood with people at death's door. I thought, God, I really don't have anything to complain about. You've been so good to me. I asked God to spare me pain. God said, no. Suffering draws you apart from worldly cares and brings you closer to me. Mm. I asked God to make my spirit grow. God said, no. You must grow your own spirit, but I will prune you to make you fruitful. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. God said, no, I'll give you life so that you can enjoy all things. I asked God to help me love others as much as he loves me. And God said, oh goodness, thank God you finally got it. What, what has happened to us in 2,000 years that makes us forget all of these principles? That we become so comfortable in everything we do and we look for ways out instead of ways to get deeper in. We look for reasons not to go to church instead of wanting to go more. We look for reasons to do other things to try and get away from the things we need to be doing. You can't quit praying. You can't quit fasting. You can't quit sacrificing. When you do, you're done. When you do, you're done. Those are the things that are not expendable. And we need those things worse now than we've ever needed them before. I wish I had time to tell you about how in the Old Testament a man was stoned to death simply because he gathered wood on the Sabbath. It was the same God there, Brother Kylie. That's the God here. It's just that everything we're doing now is being put in a book. Everything's going into a book where he memorizes it and we're gonna stand there. One time we'll get to stand before him and answer for everything. But can I tell you that tonight you may have a long list against you. You may have a slate that stretches across this room but if you'll wake up here tonight and say, God, when I go home tonight, my slate will be clean. I'm gonna jump back in the blood of Calvary. I'm gonna step underneath the spout where the glory comes out and I'm gonna let you wash away every sin, every evil thought, every failure, every misgiving. I'm gonna let you take away my bitterness, my envy, my strife, God, and set my feet on a straight path so that when I wake up tomorrow morning, I can wake up fresh. I don't have a pass because I left it at Calvary's door. You can do that here tonight. My daddy used to say, we'd ask him, I'd say, Daddy, how hard is that? And he said, it's as easy as falling off a log backwards and not nearly as dangerous. 
I'm going to quit in five minutes. So I got some things I want to say in five minutes. In the book of Numbers, chapter number 15, God tells the people of Israel, I want you to get some tassels. I want you to get a certain color thread. I, I want you to stand out. He said, I want you to sew them on the bottom of the hem of your garments. He said, I'm doing that because I want you, I want to help you remember that you must obey all my commands and, and that you have to be holy. I want you to think about it. I, I, I want to remind you. I want to remind you. So you sew them things on your garments. And when people look at them, when you look down and see one of them, and it's got that beautiful yellow or golden thread, and that tassel is, is, is kind of clicking against your leg maybe, I want you to look at it and say, why am I doing this? Because I want to remember the God that's preserved me. I want to remember the God that has blessed me. I want to remember the God that's kept me. I want to remember the God that gave me an opportunity to walk into his presence and feel something the majority of the world has never felt. The presence of the living God. The opportunity. Help me to remember. How do I get to that place? God, what can I say here tonight that would stir these people up, Lord, to the place that they would look at Deuteronomy 6-4 and say, hey, God, do I need, you know, am, really, am, do I need to write it on my forehead? That's what he told them in Deuteronomy 6. Brother Rob, that's what he told them. He said, write it on your forehead. Write it on your hands. Put it on your clothes. Write it on your doors. Whatever you have to do to make you remember that you belong to me, that I am your God and you are my children, that I love you more than anything you could ever imagine and that I want to save you. I want to draw you to me, but you have to do your part. How do I get to that point? I think I know the answer. There are nine spiritual gifts. And then there's the fruit of the Spirit. There's not nine fruits. There's only one. But there are nine components. Oh, nine components, Sister Dretzka, to that one fruit of the Spirit. Nine components. There's love. There's joy. There's peace. All of those beautiful things that we should have in us. It should be, it should be automatic. You can't say, well, I got two of them. You can't have two of them. It's a package deal. You got to get them all. And the nine spiritual gifts were given to us to arm us so that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the standard goes up. Isn't it beautiful that if the enemy comes to your home, looks inside and said, I hadn't been here in a while. I think I'll go in and see how they're doing. Maybe, they, maybe they're a little lax. Maybe I can get an inroad tonight. Maybe I'll catch them kind of carnal and I'll just slip right in. They won't even know I'm there until it's too late. But if that gift, if that gift, if that gift of discerning of spirits is working through you and in you, all at once you say there's something not right. Let's pray, honey. Come on, honey, let's pray. That's the greatest thing you could ever do. The best thing that could ever happen to you is to come in feeling like you're about to crumble, like he's got his hand on you, and walk in and say, sweetheart, put your hand on my head and rebuke the forces of hell and rebuke the devil and tell him to get out of our life and get out of our home. I want to get everything out and I want to bring all of him in. God cannot fill you up till first he empties you out of all the stuff you picked up along the way. God doesn't want a portion of you. He wants all of you. You teenage girls, God wants you right now. You boys, forget about playing on the basketball team. Forget about the football team. Forget about the baseball team. Put all that out of the way for a moment. Put everything behind you. Forget being a model. Forget being a lawyer. Forget being a doctor. And say tonight, God, I want to be a Christian. Nothing more, nothing less. I want an experience, God. More than having an education, I want an experience. And if I get an experience, my education will come. But it'll be the right education because I will have the Spirit of God to direct me where I need to go, what I need to be, who I need to be with, who to fellowship with, what to say, when to say it, how to treat my parents, how to treat my fellow man the direction of the spirit 
those gifts, that fruit. I could stop there, and it should be enough. But I can't stop there. Can you put some scripture up there, brother? Second Peter. These are my closing statements. It's 8 o'clock. These are what I call add-ons. Add-ons in 1 Peter chapter number 1. Just pull that up there. 2 Peter chapter 1. You thought I said 1 Peter. I didn't. He goes down. Let me get my little book here so I can carry it with me. Peter, we have always credited Peter with preaching the best sermon he ever preached on the day of Pentecost. Acts. Acts, they say, man, Acts 2. That was it. Peter nailed it. A while back I was reading and I thought, God, you know what? Maybe, maybe Peter's greatest sermon wasn't in the book of Acts. Maybe Peter's greatest sermon was in the book of Peter. When Peter talks about that we should add to our faith virtue. It's somewhere up there. I didn't give him the right one. Doesn't matter. I know what it is. He says to add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness Love. That's what Peter said to add on. If you catch up with me, brother, you get it right there, then I was wrong, you were right, it's okay. And I thought when I looked at them, as many times as I've read these, add-ons, that's what they are. He said add. Add to something you already have. Add this. But yet, he's redundant because some of the things that he's telling me to add were part of the fruit of the Spirit. I should already have that. He said, so I want you to add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. And that's where it really ends for most people, but actually that's where it starts because in the very next verse he said, and if these things are in you, if these things are in you, If these things are in you and abound, in other words, if they're there and they're working, you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. In what? What? In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, but that don't mean you have to have. Oh, it doesn't? What does the next verse say? But if you lack these things, you are blind and cannot see far off. And you have forgotten that you were purged from your old sin. Do you understand the strength of that? Now he goes on to say, verse or two down, he starts talking about he knows he's going to die. He said, I'm going to take this old tent off. And I'm going to go away. But he said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. As long as I'm alive, I'm going to remind you every opportunity. I'm going to ring your bell every chance I get. I'm going to kick you under the table every chance I get. I'm going to nudge you in the ribs every chance I get to remind you that these things have to be established in you. You've got to get this working in you. If it's not working, you have forgotten that you were purged from your old sin. Acts 2.38 tells us how to get saved. Peter's telling us here how to stay saved. We're no longer looking for a way to get saved. It's a Wednesday night Bible study. Most everybody here has been born again. Most everybody. We need to figure out how to stay saved. Well, What's the evidence that when you get saved? Big, big argument there. We, we, get, we get kicked around for that all the time. Well, it's, it's speaking in tongues. You spoke in tongues when the Holy Ghost came. 
But 10 years down the road, how do you know that experience is still alive in you? Well, I spoke in tongues. Mm -mm, Wrong answer. If these things are in you and abound, if they're working, they're present, they're abounding in you, you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge, in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How important is that knowledge? Let me tell you how important it is. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. And if you don't possess what he's talking about, the fear of God will leave you. And when the fear of God is gone, you're an empty vessel laying alongside the road of life. You may be sitting in a church house, but you're lost as a goose because the fear of God is not present in you. And the fear of God is everything. Let's stand together. It's everything. Without the fear of God, you can't be saved. Without the fear of God, you can't do the will of God. Without the fear of God, you can't be an effective witness. Without the fear of God, you can't be a good husband. Without the fear of God, you can't be a good wife. Without the fear of God, you can't be a good father. But without the fear of God, you cannot be a leader. You cannot speak truth. You cannot understand truth. The fear of God is everything. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of a man. Peter saying, this is how you keep it inside of you. That's the only way to do it. There is no other way. It's Wednesday night. And I know that all of you, I appreciate you coming. I know people are tired on Wednesdays. Everywhere I go, I've been having funerals. I'm going to do it here tonight too. And if somebody watches it and says, hey, he did that at my church. Yeah, he did. Why are you doing it over there? They're as dead as you are. Do you know how often the Apostle Paul died? Every day. Every day. He said, I die daily. How'd you die, Paul? Well, Romans 12, 1, he said, I presented my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is my reasonable service, nothing more, nothing less. So not only am I going to make a sacrifice, I'm going to be the sacrifice. Seems like you folks heard that before here, right here, several years ago on Father's Day. Now I'm giving it to you on Mother's Day. You become the sacrifice. And since you're the sacrifice... That means you got to check that sacrifice over to make sure there's no spots, no wrinkles, no blemishes, no defects. Is that correct? Now you're not only the sacrifice, you're the sacrificer. So it's up to you to check over your sacrifice, which is you, and present it to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. That means it's going to be a death. Got to have a death. Who's got to die? The old man's got to die. So I want you tonight pretend there's a big casket here. It's a nice one. We went to the upscale funeral home to get it. You know, when you're dead, I don't know why they don't wrap you up in a burlap bag and put you away. That's crazy to suck ten, twelve thousand dollars out of somebody for a funeral. That didn't cost nothing. Take that ten thousand dollars and give it to somebody that needs it. Pretend there's a casket here tonight, and you're going to pass by it and pay your. What do you do at a funeral? Last thing you do, everybody passes by to pay their final respects so as we close tonight I guess we can close can we so as we close tonight just as if we were closing a funeral I'd like for you to imagine that you're the one lying in that casket the old girl the one that was alive and well at 7 o'clock this evening but you killed her tonight and you laid her in that casket and you're going to pass by pay your final respects because the new girl has just cleaned her slate is that asking too much just cleaned my slate well wait how do I do it don't I have to do it no 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 you can do it real simple we're going to take about 60 seconds you can do it you know how you do it you say Lord search me and know me and try me God and know my thoughts see if there's any wicked way about me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
It's that simple. Forgive me, God. Whatever's not right, I don't have time to itemize, God. Whatever's not right, whatever don't look right, if I'm doing something wrong, if I'm dressing wrong, if I'm hanging around the wrong people, if I'm disobedient to parents, if I'm, if I'm a bad husband, a bad daddy, if I'm a bad son, if I'm a bad friend, whatever, everything, God, everything, cleanse me, oh Lord, from all unrighteousness. And then pass by and say goodbye. I won't see you again. What a funeral. What a funeral. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, here we are, God. How many times have we been here? How many altar calls have we had? How many touching services and touching sermons and touching songs have we heard? And yet we still digressed. But God, tonight, that's it. That's enough. That's enough, God. Tonight, God, I'm getting out of Egypt. I'm getting out, God. I'm not staying in Egypt no more. I don't want their horses. I don't want their crops. I don't want their money, God. I'm going to start making my way toward the promised land. I don't care if there's an ocean to cross or a wilderness to go through for 40 years. I don't care, God. I'm going. I don't want to stay in Egypt any longer. I've compromised at the seat of nothing long enough. Now, God, forgive me. Forgive me. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.